But hey, this morning, we're going to jump back into our sermon series in the Gospel of Luke, but we're going to go to the end of it. We've been going through the Gospel of Luke for uh, a number of weeks, actually well over a year now, and we're about uh, ready for chapter 22, but we're going to skip ahead a little bit since it's Easter, and we're going to look at the very end of the Gospel of Luke. So if you have your Bible, turn to Luke chapter 24, Luke chapter 24. I'm sorry, I forgot again. The ushers are yelling at me again. This is the second week in a row, isn't it, guys? I'm sorry. That just goes to show you, even the pastor is not perfect. Can we do it at the end? Can we do the offering at the very end again? I'm sorry, guys. Okay, we'll do the offering at the last song. I'm sorry, guys. That's my fault. Hey, but Luke chapter 24, if you have your Bible or if you're on the YouVersion Bible app on your phone, uh, you can always go to More Than Events on the app and then you can find us. And actually all the information that you normally find in your bulletin is there as well. But we're going to be starting Luke chapter 24, starting in verse 36. This is actually the third scene that we get on Easter morning in the Gospel of Luke. The first one, of course, are two female disciples who go up to Jesus's grave here and find the tomb completely empty. They're met by angels who who said, hey, he's not here, he is risen. And so they go back to the other 12 disciples and they're like, hey, listen, Jesus, he's not there, he's risen. And so they're perplexed. And then we get this scene of Jesus coming along these two lesser known disciples on the road to Emmaus. And they go and they go to the road to Emmaus. I don't know what's going on with my slides here. Sorry about that, guys. But they go on to the road to Emmaus and it says that there's a seven-mile journey there's this seven-mile journey, and they, uh, Jesus comes up to him, and they don't recognize who Jesus is. They have no idea who this guy is, but they have a Bible study with Jesus. He explains the scriptures to them, and then they finally get who Jesus is as they're eating next to him. And then he vanishes. And so those two guys go up to the other disciples, and they're like, hey, listen, Jesus is back. He's risen from the grave. And there's the scene that we're going to enter into right here in Luke chapter 24, starting in verse 36. This is what it says. It says, as they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them. And they said to them, peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought that they saw a spirit. And he said to them, why are you troubled? Why do your hearts doubt and and doubt arise in your heart? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones, as you see that I have. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. When they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, Have you anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate before them. And he said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything was written about me in the law of Moses and of the prophets and of the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And he said to them, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. And that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name throughout all the nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you. But stay in the city until you are clothed with the power from on high. We're going to talk about this and what this means for our lives today. Before we do that, though, let's just go before the Lord. Let's ask him for his help today. Pray with me, if you will. Father, we thank you for your good and your perfect word this morning. And we thank you that you have given this to us as a love letter for us to show us the great depths of love that you have for us, the great lengths that you would go 
to reach out to us, to offer salvation to us, that you would send your one and only Son, that He would be the only way of salvation, but that it's a free gift, and that we at any time can accept you as our Lord and Savior, and that we could be saved. We thank you for that, and we thank you for not just dying for us, but for raising again three days later and giving us a new life. We celebrate that today, Jesus. And as we take a look at this passage of you appearing to these disciples in the flesh, God, would you help us to take it to heart? Would you mold us, conform us to your image? Holy Spirit, lead us as we live our lives. And may we glorify you in all that we do. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Have you ever been working on something and it totally failed? I mean, I'm not talking about, you know, you're trying to arrange your apps in your iPhone in a certain folder and it's just not going. You know, that's annoying, but that's not really working hard on something. I'm talking about something that you strived for. Maybe it was a project at work and, and you worked for months at it and it just got canceled or your boss said, we're not going with this, we're going a different direction. Maybe if you're a student today, you worked on a paper and it took you hard, I mean, it was hard and it took you a long time to do it and then you get that paper back and it's great and it's got a big old D on the top of it or something like that. Or you're working on this home project right? And you've watched all the YouTube videos. You know how to do it up here. And then for some reason, it just does not go into place, right? I mean, there are times because we live in an imperfect world, those things happen, right? We work on something. And how do we feel when it doesn't go? I, I mean, it's demoralizing, right? I can't tell you how frustrated I was. We were working on this baptismal, Jeff and I. We were working on it. We had it full of water. I thought it was working just fine. I can't tell you how frustrating it was to walk over that carpet and here, with that water. I mean, it's just frustrating. It's demoralizing, right? And you're just like, ah, oh, what am I going to do here? I kind of feel like that's how the disciples probably felt. I mean, think about it. They walk around with Jesus for three years. I mean, they're walking alongside him. He's doing miracles. He's multiplying bread. He's feeding people. He's bringing dead people back to life. He's making the blind see. I mean, just doing miraculous things. And then they have their hopes up. They think once they get to Jerusalem, Jesus, he's just going to change everything around. And then he dies. He's killed. I mean, think about that. If you're one of the disciples, how demoralized would you be at just sitting there with the other guys? Bartholomew, he's crying, right? Peter's off having a daydream about something. You're like, come on, guys, what are we going to do? And then all of a sudden, Jesus is there. And the disciples somehow go from these demoralized, downtrodden, depressed guys to, just a number of weeks later, preaching and saving thousands of people. And just a number of weeks later, Peter will have gone from denying Christ after he died to preaching to 3,000 people and everyone coming to faith. I mean, think about that. I mean, that is crazy, the turnaround that these guys go through. It is just nuts. Now, I want to ask you a question. How does this happen? How does a group of random guys, fishermen, a tax collector, I mean, just random dudes, how do they go from these, this state of just depression to preaching for Jesus and giving, them, or giving him all that they have? to really fulfilling what Jesus said earlier on in the Gospel of Luke when he said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. I mean, they really embodied this in the book of Acts. 
they turn around right here. This instance, right when Jesus appears to them, this is their turnaround. If there was a movie about this, about their lives, this would be that climactic moment, right? The music is going, and it's where people start crying in the audience, right? Because you're watching, and you're like, this is it. This is the turnaround for these people. So what happened in this instance, when Jesus shows up to them, what happens? And how do we experience that as well? Because I don't know about you, but sometimes when you're a Christian and you're just kind of bebopping along in life, Sometimes you can get to this point where these guys got. You can become downtrodden and you can just go, man, it's another day, right? I got to get the kids off to school and I got to get to work and get this project done. I got to come home and do a bunch of laundry. And I mean, you just get bogged down with the everyday life, right? How do you go from that to giving God all that you have, like Jesus says here in Luke 27, 10, 27? How do you go from that? Well, let's take a look at this instance that Jesus shows up to them. It says, he says, right when he gets there, peace to you. And I think this is such a lovely greeting that Jesus has uh, because they're freaked out. They saw Jesus, die. they witnessed this, and now he's back from the grave. Um, I think if I were one of the disciples, I'd probably have to change my underpants, okay? Right, this is, a, a, this is scary. He's like, no, 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 hey, hey, I come in peace, okay? And then it says that they were frightened and startled and thought that they saw a spirit. Literally, they thought they saw a ghost. They are afraid. And he says to them, hey, why are your hearts troubled? Why do doubts arise in your hearts? And then Jesus does this. This is so good. Instead of yelling at them, saying, I can't believe, I told you this was going to happen. I told you I'd have to die and then come back three days later. How do you not understand this? Let's get this through your thick skull. Jesus doesn't do that, though. He says, hey, listen, check out my hands. Check out my feet. There's holes in them from where the nails were. A spirit doesn't have this, right? Flesh and bones, you see that I have. And then it says he shows them his hands and his feet. And then it says, well, they still disbelieved for joy. I, I kind of feel like, I, I was a little confused at that phrase as I was researching this, but I kind of feel like they're just so joyful that they don't even have words. You ever been in that state in your life? You're like, oh, 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 it's him. It's just really him, right? Like, like they don't even have words. They're marveling. And then Jesus, I think, does the most loving thing that he can possibly do. Instead of just taking off, all right, you get the point. All right, I got more. I got other things I got to get done here. I got other work. I got more people I need to show. I got, I got, I got some preaching I got to get to. Jesus doesn't do that. He just says, hey, um, can we just sit down and have a meal? You got anything to eat? Right? And I mean, think about this. Like, they need some time for this to sink into their brains. That Jesus has risen from the grave. And he just says, hey, let's have a meal together. And it says that they give them some broiled fish. Like, that's probably all that they have. This is super common. Uh, this would be like Jesus showing up to your house, and you totally underprepared. You don't have anything, and you're like, uh, well, I got some hot dogs in the fridge. You want some, right? I mean, this is just a really ordinary meal. This is not fancy. This is super, super normal. They're just sitting around eating hot dogs with Jesus and talking with him. Now, I want you to think about this just for a moment. God is so kind and he's so loving that he says, hey, I know you're going to need some time. I know you're going to need some time for this to sink in. Let's just spend some time together. If you want to be all in for Christ, as these disciples were, 
as these disciples have this turnaround moment with Jesus, the first thing that I think that we have to realize, if we're going to be all in, if we're going to follow Jesus with everything that we've got, if we're not just going to show up to church on Easter and Christmas or Sunday and then go off and do our normal thing, but if we're going to be all in for Jesus, the first thing we have to realize is that it's not enough to hear other people's account of who Jesus is, but we have to experience him personally. It's not enough for you to come and to hear some guy's experience of what Jesus has done and and watch them get baptized or sing songs about what Jesus has done for us or watch some videos about it. You have to experience Jesus for yourself. Grace read this verse earlier for us, but Jesus says this, this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Like Jesus isn't just here to give us eternal life after we die. He's here to give you life right here today. Yes, eternal life comes with accepting Jesus as our Lord and Savior, but your life changes today if you accept Him. And it's experience Him personally. It's not just this head knowledge thing of, oh, I get, I get what Jesus has done. I've, I've been in the Bible studies. I've sat in church. I've listened to the messages. It's not just that. It's experiencing Jesus. It's talking with Him. Because of His death and His resurrection, He has given us a way to connect with Himself, with God. He has given us this. It's called salvation. And we get a relationship with Him where we can experience Him personally. Psalm 46.10 says, Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. This is not this know, be still and know that I am God. This is not just head knowledge. This is heart knowledge too. This is saying, hey, I get this. I get who God is. 1 John 3.6 says, No one who abides in Him too. No one who abides in Him. So we have this relationship with Him and we're abiding with Him. Look at this. Keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen Him or known Him. Why? Because Jesus Christ, experiencing Jesus Christ personally, changes who we are. It changes our thoughts. It changes the words that we say. It changes our actions. It changes us from the inside out as God conforms us to his image. What else? Let's go back to our passage here in Luke chapter 24. How else do we go all in for Jesus as these disciples did? Well, look at this here. We're going to pick it back up in verse 44. It says, then he said to him, so they're eating these broiled fish. They're sitting around, they're eating. And he says this to him, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened up their minds to understand the scriptures. And he said to them, thus it is written, that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all the nations, beginning from Jerusalem. I want you to think about this just for a moment. Jesus here, he does the same thing with the guys that he was walking to Emmaus with, this seven-mile journey. He does the same thing. He opens up Scripture and he starts looking at it, and he says, hey, can I just tell you this? Uh, All of Scripture leads up to me. It all points to 
me. If you think about the Old Testament, we might think of it as, well, oh, that's kind of outdated, and, you know, that's just, I, who really needs that anymore? I, we don't read from the Old Testament. We read from the New Testament. The Old Testament points towards Jesus. It shows us what life is like without a Savior, that we need Jesus as our Savior. And so if we're going to be all in for Christ, as these disciples were, not only do we have to experience Jesus personally, but also we have to realize that Jesus' life, death, and resurrection has always been God's plan for, to redeem us. It's always been God's plan to redeem mankind. It is not plan B. It is, oh, God wasn't up there with uh, God the Son and God the Holy Spirit. He wasn't up there saying, you know, I, could, I can't, can you believe it? They ate the fruit. I, I told them not to, right? Parents, you get this? I told you not to, and you did it anyways, right? I can't believe this. Now we got to go, oh, what am I going to do? This is not, God did, God, this didn't surprise God. God knew that would happen, and yet he was so gracious, he created us anyways. How good is our God? Our God is a good God. He created us knowing that we were going to fall away, knowing that he would have to send his one and only son, that this was the only way of salvation, that he would have to send his one and only son to die a horrific death on our behalf, to pay the price for our sins. And yet he said, I know what... I know what this is going to cost me. And yet I'm going to create them anyways because I love them so much. Our God is a loving God. Could you imagine just sitting around as you were one of these disciples and just go, oh, and he's just going through the, like these mundane Old Testament stories. That's what, that's the suffering servant in, in, in Psalm 22. That's a suffering servant? Really? That's it? The Isaiah 53? That, that's you? What? That's crazy. You're the blessing of Israel that was created through Abraham. What? This is crazy. I mean, these guys knew Old Testament scripture. They're Jewish guys. They would have understood it to a certain extent. And then Jesus just completes their understanding. And he says, hey, actually, it was all pointing towards me the entire time. Jesus says this in John 5, 46. For if, I, uh, or if you believe Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote of me. Moses, who wrote the first five books of the Bible, wrote of Jesus thousands of years later. First Timothy tells us that all Scripture is breathed out by God. Not some of it, not just the New Testament, not just what Jesus says. All Scripture is breathed out by God, profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Which means even all the way back to Genesis. This is God's Word. He knew that he would have to send his one and only son. I want to, I want to point out the, just the uh, curse that Jesus, or I'm sorry, that, that God the Father has to the serpent, to the devil. He gives him a curse, and he actually foretells of what Jesus will do someday. This is part of the curse that he says in Genesis 3.15. He says, I will put eminentity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. Now, think about this. This is this idea that we get that someday Jesus will come and he will crush the enemy, but that he will die in the midst of this. He will die when he does this. But God is so strong, so much stronger than the enemy, the grave could not hold him. He rose three days later, giving us a new life in him. What else? What else happens uh, in order for us to go all in? 
Well, let's take a look back at these disciples. One more thing that I want to point out to you. It says in verse 48 and 49 that uh, Jesus is talking to them and he says, You are witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Now, what is Jesus referring to here? He's referring of the coming of the Holy Spirit. We know at Pentecost the Holy Spirit will come among the disciples and to all, uh, all believers as well to embody them and to uh, proclaim the message of what Jesus has done. And Jesus is just saying, hey, this is going to happen. You've been with me. You've been changed. So not only do we have to uh, be with Jesus and experience him personally and realize that, hey, he's the only way of salvation. He is God's way from the get-go. But we also have to do is to realize this, that the natural outcome of experiencing Jesus, of following him with everything that we have, is to spread the good news. This is the responsibility of every believer, to say, hey, Jesus is my Lord and Savior, and I want to proclaim that. Jesus, in Matthew chapter 28, will tell his disciples to go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And that might sound really scary to you. You might say, man, I've been a believer for a long time, but sharing my faith, that, that's beyond me. That's, that's kind of scary, and I I'm not sure that I'm totally interested in that. I don't have what it takes. Here's the promise of Scripture, though, that God will give you what it takes. Philippians 4.19 says, And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. The Josh Fisher version of that is that God will give you everything that you need to, uh, for everything that he's called you to do. Everything, which means to spread your faith. And we don't do it in an obnoxious way, right? We don't scream in people's faces and we don't yell at them, but we do it with all graciousness, as 1 Peter 3.15 says. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet, look at this, do it with gentleness and respect. If you're here today and uh, a Christian has not given you that, has yelled at you, has tried to tell you about Jesus in the wrong way, I want to just say on behalf of every believer, I'm sorry. That's not the way that it should be. That as Christians, we should be the most gentle and respectful people out there. And we should tell you about Jesus with all gentleness and respect, as Scripture says. So I'm going to ask you a question. Do you maybe today feel like you're one of these disciples? You're going through life and you just kind of feel beat up. And you just feel like, man... I don't know. I, the disciples were sitting there, and I'm sure that they would have said things like, well, what did the last three years even mean? What did our time with Jesus even mean? It, was he really who he said he was? You may be going through a season of doubt today. You may be saying, man, I, I don't know about this Christian stuff. I, I, don't, know, I don't know about this Jesus stuff. I, I don't know about the Bible. I, I don't know. It, it just seems kind of out there to me, and I'm just kind of feeling like, it's not super real to me today. Let me tell you, he is super real. He has worked in the lives in this room. He has worked in these lives. And let me tell you, if you want your life to turn around, it can only happen through Jesus. He is the only person who can truly redeem us. We could try all the self-help that we can. We could try getting better on our own. It's not going to work. 
It's only going to work through Christ. He's here to redeem us. He died on the cross to save us from our sins. And he rose three days later to give us a new life in him. That's what we celebrate this morning. And so this morning, if you've never done that, we would love for you to accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior. That Easter morning, 2022, was your day that you've accepted Christ. That you've said, I'm all in. Just as these guys who got baptized this morning, I'm all in. I'm here to serve Him. I, I realize that I am a sinner, that I have fallen short of the glory of God, and I need a Redeemer. Jesus, you're that Redeemer. I look to you as my Lord and Savior. Today could be your day. And you may have been saying, man, I, I've done that a long time ago. I, I've been a Christian for a long time. But I, I need this time to rededicate my life to Christ. To say, hey, you know what? I do feel downtrodden as these disciples did. It's been hard. It's been a hard season for each and every one of us. There's a lot that's been going on. And in the midst of this, Jesus is saying, I'm right here. It's okay. You can lean on me. I'm here to offer you salvation. I'm here to give your life a purpose and a meaning. I'm here for you. And so this morning we get the um, great privilege of remembering what Jesus has done. I'm going to invite you to go ahead and um, don't, don't open it quite yet, but you can go ahead and grab the communion cup that's in front of you. If you're in the front row, it'll be right in the chair below you, right close to the chair leg. But I invite you to go ahead and grab this. We're going to remember what Christ has done for us. And just as a quick reminder, you, you don't have to be a member of Hillside. You don't have to be a member of any church. All we ask is that you are a member of the family of God that you have accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior. If you've done that, even if today was your first day, we invite you to go ahead and grab this and partake together with us. Before we do that, Scripture tells us that each and every one of us are to examine our lives. We are not to take this lightly. We are to examine ourselves. So we are to look at our relationship with Jesus and say, God, I don't want to come before you in a sinful state. I need your forgiveness. I'm going to give you just a moment of silence to do that before the Lord, just 30 seconds or so, and then I'm going to pray for you. Before I do that, let me just explain real quickly where this came from. Jesus, on the night of his betrayal, the night before he would die on the cross, had a meal with his disciples. He broke the bread, and he gave it to them, and he said, this is my body broken for you. Eat this in remembrance of me. And In a like way, he took the cup. And he drank it, and he said, this is my blood shed for you. Drink this in remembrance of me. And so when we partake this in just a few moments, we are remembering who Jesus is and what he's done for us. He went to great lengths to have a relationship with you. He gave it all. He died a horrific death on the cross for you. So let's just examine each and every one of our hearts today. I'm going to give you just a few moments or so, and then I'll close this out in prayer, and then we'll partake of this together. Father, thank you again for sending your one and only Son and knowing from the very beginning that we would fail, 
that we would sin, that we would fall short of what you're asking us to do. And yet you still created us. God, you are so loving, so merciful, so kind, so gracious. We thank you. We thank you for giving us what we never deserved, which is eternal life with you. Thank you for offering us a way to have a relationship with you. Thank you, Jesus, for dying on the cross, for paying the price for our sins. Thank you so much. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I'm going to invite you at this time to go ahead and peel back just the first layer of your communion cup, and then you could take the wafer out. Again, you don't have to be a member at Hillside or any church for that matter. All we ask is that you're a member of the family of God, that Jesus is your Lord and Savior. On the night Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread, he broke it, and he gave it to his disciples. And he said, eat this in remembrance of me. I invite you to do that now. I invite you at this time also to peel back that final layer of your communion cup. Jesus took the cup. He gave it to his disciples. And he said, this is my blood shed for you. Drink this in remembrance of me. I'm going to invite the worship team to come back up. We are uh, going to respond to what Jesus has done for us. We're going to respond to his word today through this one last song. It's called Jesus, Thank You. Uh, I couldn't think of a more appropriate song to end our Easter service with than just praising God for what he's done and thanking him. Thanking him for doing everything it took to have a relationship with us. And so I'm going to invite you all to stand up and to do that as well, to thank Jesus as we respond today.